Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon, everyone on the East Coast, on the central region of the United States. On the West Coast, it will be in the afternoon soon for you. And around the world, the two billion people that could possibly listen to me. I know that would take a miracle of Yah for that to happen, but, uh, hey, with uh, Yah, anything is possible. Shalom, peace. My name is Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. This will be a special program. I'm estimating that it will take two hours for me to cover all this material that I need to cover. But this program really is for people that are listening to me for the first time that uh, need to understand that the law of Moses is the law of God and that the Messiah did not come to destroy that law. Because if you don't understand that, you're going to have a difficult time understanding everything else I'm going to talk to you about each and every week if you choose to listen to me each and every week on this program. So that's what this program will be all about. Uh, it's going to be my feature program. So when you go to my website, the Blog Talk Radio website, you'll be able to see on the top of the uh web page the feature program and this will be the feature program this is a program that uh, you should listen to over again uh, if you don't understand what I'm saying uh, I suggest also that you uh, get a pencil and a piece of paper I'm going to quote a lot of scriptures here and I'm going to do the best I can to read them slowly but uh, if for some reason I'm still going too fast for you you should jot down the scriptures because that's really the only way you're going to be able to understand the Bible. You need to get familiar to where the scriptures are in reference to the teaching that I'm giving you. And you need to be like a Berean in Acts chapter 17 to check and see whether those things are so. Okay, uh, as far as uh, world news, I'm going to briefly cover what's on watch.org. That's www.watch.org. Uh this is World Watch Daily. Call Nick. You could go to that website with me if you want. And there's a report, uh, Perez, the current uh, president of Israel in the Middle East. It says, no doubt Obama will attack Iran if nuclear talks fail. So this is what he says. He says, I have no doubt, I quote, I have no doubt that if diplomatic talks fail with Iran and Tehran, doesn't stop accelerating his nuclear development, U.S. President Barack Obama will conduct a military attack against Iran. President uh, Shimon Peres told Israel Hanyam this week. Peres spent a great deal of time with his American counterpart during the latter's visit to Israel last month. 
Another uh, report. It says, report Iran successfully tests three new missiles, which isn't good. And U.S.-China agree on North Korea denuclearization push. So, and you know that the monkey business is going on with North Korea right now. We don't know what their capabilities are. One person says one thing, another person says another. So it's just like uh, in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, let's go there again. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in uh, verse 6. You will hear the noise of wars nearby and the news of wars far off. I'm reading this in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. See to it that you don't become frightened. Such things must happen, but the end is yet to come. And then in verse 7, for peoples will fight each other, nations will fight each other, and there will be famines uh, and earthquakes in various parts of the world. All this is but the beginning of birth pains, and we are in that beginning of birth pains, period. Well, these things that Yeshua is talking about, or Jesus is talking about, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, for those who are listening to me for the first time, will occur. Okay, so we're going to get to the title of this Bible study today, and I'm estimating it will take two hours. I may not even complete it. I may have to give additional programs, but we'll we'll get to this Um my goal for this program is to give uh, Tor 101 or <laughs> the basics of understanding that the Bible and its commandments should be obeyed, all of them to the best of your ability. Now, the title of this program is, Did Jesus Command Us to Keep Only Six Commandments? I know quite a few ministers teach that he did, or there's only two commandments uh, that we need to keep. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 22. Let's go there here. Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read this in the King James Version. Matthew 22, verse 35. Then one of them, a lawyer, which Hebraically is a Torah teacher or a rabbi, someone who was qualified to teach the law, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, in verse 36, in the King James Version, Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the greatest commandment? And in verse 37, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, hold your place here. Let's turn to... Uh, where he quoted this from, Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's begin in verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land, whether you go to possess it. In verse 2, that you might fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, you, your son, and your son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. In verse 3, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here, therefore, here means Hebraically, understand, therefore, Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that flows with milk and honey. And verse 4. Hear, or understand, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 5. And you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy might. So this is where Jesus got this commandment here, Yeshua. Uh, when he says the greatest commandment, it has something to do with what the Jews call today the Shema. All right? 
And verse 6, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart, in your mind, verse 7, and you shall teach them diligently, diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when you sit in thine house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and you and shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And you shall write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. All right, so that's how serious God wants us to keep his commandments, folks. So uh, this is where the Jews got the concept of the tefillin from, which is a, a good tradition to help you meditate on the law. And this is what we should be doing. And I'm going to prove to you uh, by quoting scriptures that uh, we need to keep the commandments, all the commandments, not just six. And uh, I'm going to show that to you here. So let's go back to, so you understand where he got that commandment from. is in the context of keeping all the commandments. And then Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. And the second is like unto it, or similar to it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So if you picture these two commandments and then all the law, which is the entire Torah, the teachings and doctrines of God, the first five books, and really, basically, the whole Bible is the instructions of God, because that's what Torah means. Whenever you see that word law, it means the instructions of God. And the prophets, and that's the, that's the entire Bible. On these two commandments hang, uh, hang the entire Bible, you might as well say. that's what. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And the law and the prophets... In this context, of course, it's just talking about the Tanakh, okay? But let's understand that the apostolic scriptures uh, is not any less than the Tanakh, and we should also pay attention to those as well. All right, so let's go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So this is, let me stop here. This is a very significant scripture here. He's asking Yeshua, or Jesus, what should I do that I may have eternal life? So it's something that we have to do that has something to do with eternal life, ladies and gentlemen. All right? And verse 17, and he said unto him, Why do you call me good? There is none good but one, God. But if you will enter life, keep the command. I'm going to repeat this two more times. But if you will enter life, keep the commandments. Again, if you will enter life, keep the commandments. Let me repeat it again. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. This is in red letters in your King James Version. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 19. He said unto them, Which? And Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love thy neighbor as thyself. Okay, so let's count them. The thou shalt not do murder, let me, that is the uh, sixth commandment. That's the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not steal. That's the eighth commandment. 
Thou shalt not bear false witness. That's the ninth commandment. And honor thy father and mother. That's the fifth commandment. And then thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's another commandment. But Jesus told us to keep that commandment. And I want you to notice something. Love thy neighbor as thyself is not a part of the Ten Commandments. And yet Jesus is telling us to um, obey that commandment. Now, many of you may not know this, but this commandment is found in Leviticus 19, verse 18. So hold your place here. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And I'm going to read a couple of verses here, starting with in Leviticus 19. Uh, Leviticus 19, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moshe, or Moses, saying, verse 2, Speak unto the assembly of the children of Israel, and say unto them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holy means to be set apart. In verse 3, You shall fear every man his mother and his father, and keep my Shabbats. I am the Lord your God. Now, I want you to understand something. In this one sentence, he's equating the fifth commandment, which is honor your father and mother, and keeping the Sabbath on the same plane. Isn't that significant? And then people say, well, we should not um, obey the Sabbath, and yet he's equating honoring your father and mother with keeping the Sabbath in this verse. And this is the same chapter that um, Yeshua got, love your neighbor as yourself, as I'm going to prove to you. Let's go down to verse 18. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now keep in mind, you have to learn how to love yourself to love your neighbor. But you shall love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Now, at the end of this chapter, he states, in verse 37 of Leviticus 9, chapter 19, Therefore shall you observe all my statutes and all my judgments and do them. I am the Lord. So, let's understand something. He got this commandment, love thy neighbor as thyself, in a chapter of the Bible that ends with, you should obey all my statutes and judgments and, of course, commandments and do them. So I want you to understand that. And also in this chapter, it talks about the Sabbath, and honoring your father and mother on the same plane, in the same sentence. Meaning and signifying that it's just as important as honoring your father and mother as it is to keeping the Sabbath. And it only helps you to understand the following scripture. Uh, in James chapter 2, Verse 10, it says, For whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Verse 11, For he that says, Do not commit adultery, which is the, what? That's the uh, seventh commandment. And also, do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, yet if you kill, you are become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and, do, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. So anyway, so I'm trying to help you to understand that Yeshua did not mean that you should only keep six commandments, and I'm not even done yet. But anyway, notice also that Jesus did not mention five of the Ten Commandments. 
So does this mean we are not to obey the five he did not mention? Let's go over the the uh, the ones he didn't mention. The first commandment, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So should we have other gods before uh, God the Father and, and Jesus? Huh? Should we? Of course not. Verse 2, or not verse 2, the second commandment he didn't mention. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And you can find all these commandments in Exodus chapter 20, by the way. Thou shalt not bow thyself to them, no serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And notice that God can get jealous, and righteously so, when you uh, don't obey him. The third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that take his name in vain. This means uh, saying that you represent God and, and, and yet not doing what God wants you to do. And it also can mean uh, taking his name lightly as well. The fourth commandment, which is the most probably the most forsaken commandment of all time among Christianity, Remember this Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it you shall do no work, your son, your daughter, thy manservant, or thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Shabbat and hallowed it. Now, the fourth commandment is a sign that you are a believer as well. This is all in the Bible. Let me show it to you. Exodus, Exodus, chapter 31, starting in verse 13. It says, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Shabbat you shall keep. For it is a sign, it is a sign, it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that sanctifies you or sets you apart from the world. Exodus 31, verse 14. You shall keep my Shabbat, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth shall surely be put to death. For whosoever does any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Shabbat of rest. Holy to the Lord, whosoever doeth any work in the Shabbat day or Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations, a continual or perpetual covenant. Verse 17 of Exodus 31. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of, of communing with him upon Mount Sinai two tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. So, he, again, and people say, well, that's just for the Jews, the children of Israel, and Israel's not just the Jews, folks. Go to your Davidi's website, www.britan.org. Israel also uh, consists of 11 other tribes or 12 tribes, which the Jews consist of, too. They're called the tribe of Judah. This is in Genesis chapter 49, but you need to study this for yourself. I can't go over 
all of this in this one program. This is just a, a start for you. You have to get a, dig into the Bible and research it yourself and and uh, go to the uh, the resources I'm, I'm giving you so you can start to study on your own. So it's www.britam.org. And the Tenth Commandment he didn't mention. Uh, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. That's in Exodus 20, verse 17. So he didn't, so should we lust? Because he didn't mention those commandments. Okay, so, you know, we're going to have to use our common sense here and realize, obviously, that he did not say uh, that we just obey six commandments, folks. That's, that's just ridiculous to think so that way. So he, he did not mean that. Now, which commandment should we keep according to Paul? All right? Because Paul said in First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse one, that he follows Christ. Okay, so let's let's go uh Romans chapter thirteen. Romans chapter thirteen. Beginning in verse nine. Says for this. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. So thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not kill. That's the sixth. Thou shalt not steal. That's the eighth. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That's the ninth. Thou shalt not covet. Now, he includes the coveting uh, commandment there. That, that's the tenth commandment. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So what... Uh, Shaul or Paul is saying, as is, is understood by Jews even today, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself is the summation, is the summary of the entire uh, laws of God. So with that, you should start to understand when when Jesus or Yeshua stated, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, as being one of the greatest commandments, and also in that uh, section in Matthew chapter 19, he summarized all the other commandments. And Galatians, here's proof of that, scriptural proof of that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So that's scriptural proof of, of what the Jews understand today, that loving thy neighbor as thyself is the summation of the entire law or teachings and doctrines of God. So that's something we need to understand. Now, here's another thing that we need to understand. Uh, it, this is one of the greatest deceptions of all time. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to read this in the King James Version. Think not that I have come to destroy the law. And whenever God tells us to think not, uh, we do it anyway. So many people in traditional Christianity think that Yeshua came to destroy the law. He did not come to destroy the law of the prophets. I don't know if you realize this or not, but Moses was a prophet. So he did not come to destroy Moses. Now, this is in red letters in your King James Version. So if he did not come to destroy Moses, then the word fulfill can't mean that he was going to nail the law to the cross, folks. And that's what, unfortunately, is being taught today among many Christian uh, denominations and this incorrect teaching. Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy but to fulfill. Now, this is what they're teaching. And, and, they, and, they, and they twist this scripture to their own destruction. This is what they're saying here. Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. 
I am not come to destroy, but to, to nail the law to the cross. You might as well, because that's, that's the way they interpret fulfill. They, they interpret fulfill like this. Think not that I have come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but I came to nail the law to the cross. Now, does that make sense? That does not make sense at all, but that's what's being taught. And that's an incorrect teaching. Now, what does the word fulfill mean in the Greek? It means play role, O, okay, a play role. And it means to a plea role. <laughs> you got to help me with my Greek. But anyways, P-L-E-R-O-O, plea role. Okay, that's what it is. Plea role. And it means to to complete, to fully preach or teach. That's what it means, ladies and gentlemen. So he did not come to destroy the law or to nail the law to the cross. He did not come to destroy Moses. If you can just get all the false teaching out of your brain and just focus on these words, then you will start to understand the truth. You will start to embrace the truth. Get all the false teaching, and I'm going to talk about uh, the great deception that has been in this world for a while, how it came about and so forth in this program, if you just pay attention and listen to me. But again, this is a significant scripture in the entire Bible. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. Destroy in the Greek, it means to demolish. All right? He did not come to demolish the law or the prophets or Moses. I am not come to demolish the law or Moses, but to fully preach or complete our understanding. It's not, but I came to nail the law to the cross or to keep all the commandments so you don't have to. That's not what it's saying, but unfortunately that's what's being preached by all the, I think it's like over 33,000 denominations uh, right now in Christianity. So uh, that's what's being preached, unfortunately, and it's, it's one of the greatest lies of all time. Totally. Now, another scripture that helps you to understand that Yeshua did not come to destroy the law, but to fully preach or teach the law, to correctly teach it, because uh, let's let's look at John chapter 7 here. Another scripture popped in my mind here. And we, we have to understand something here. It says something about um, the fact that they didn't fully understand the law themselves. You know, when he came, and I'm trying to find it here. Uh, here we go. John 7, verse 19. Did not Moses give you the law? He didn't create the law. He gave, God used him to give them the, the teachings and doctrines of God, and yet none of you keep the law, so the vast majority of them weren't keeping the law. That's one of the reasons why he had to come, to, to show them how to keep it. He didn't destroy it. And that's, what, unfortunately, is what's, what's being preached uh, in, in many Christian denominations in this country and around the world, unfortunately. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. It says, Whereof I am made a minister, and this is Paul stating this, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill, that same word, plea role, is uh, in Greek, is used there, fulfill the word of God. So Paul 
he stated that um, imitate me because I imitate the Messiah. Well, he's doing the same thing that the Messiah did, is to fulfill the word of God, to fully teach the word of God, which is also the instructions of God. Okay? So I, I hope I have helped you to understand that, ladies and gentlemen, in a way perhaps that you've never understood before. And let's understand that he did not mean that uh, you keep just six commandments. It's impossible for him, for him to have meant that. Now, let's understand something, because many of you are saying, well, well, are you saying that we have to keep the commandments to earn salvation? No. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 states, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, and this is in the King James Version, so none of us, no commandment keeping is going to earn us salvation. That has already been bought by the Messiah um, offering to give his life for all of mankind. Okay, so that has been already paid. However, is that it? I mean, he just died and he kept the commandments so we don't have to? No. No, that's not it at all, ladies and gentlemen. You have to understand what love is. Now, one of the greatest commandments, it says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So what we have to find out, what is the Bible's definition of love so that we can learn how to love our neighbor, first of all? So let's turn to Second John, it's the second epistle of John. And this is a clear definition, ladies and gentlemen. This is so clear in the King James and, and other versions of the Bible. So in the King James Version, and it states this. Second John chapter 1, verse 6. And, and this is love, that we walk after his commands or commandments. The same thing. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you shall walk in it. So we love is keeping God's commandments, ladies and gentlemen. That's what love is. Uh, there's, as I was telling my son today before uh, giving this program, there's been so many books written on what love is. And the Bible perfectly defines what love is. Love, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. That's what love is. It's something that you have to do. So when you love your neighbor, you have to keep the teachings of God to be able to properly love your neighbor. Okay? And then 1 John chapter 2. The commandments of God teach you how to properly love your neighbor. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And then yet we are uh, were taught anyway, and, and I know I was taught. I don't get taught that way anymore, but many of you probably listening to me have been taught by your ministers and maybe continue to be taught by your ministers that, well, the, the law is nailed to the cross, so we don't have to keep all the commandments. Uh, you don't have to keep the Sabbath. You don't, there's only six commandments that, uh, that you're commanded to keep and so forth, and that's a lot. First John 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. So he doesn't want us to sin at all. God does not want us to sin at all. And I'm going to get into the definition of sin here in this program. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the covering or, or propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. 
all of creation, mankind. Verse 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So again, we have to keep his commandments. God's commandments. Verse 4, he that says, I know him and keep not his commandments is a liar. Is a liar. And the truth is not in him. What is truth? Psalm 119, verse 142, truth is the entire teachings and doctrines of God, which is translated law in your King James Version. Verse 5, but whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Verse 6, he that says he abides in him himself also to walk, even as he walked. You should walk and keep the commandments like Jesus did if you truly believe in Jesus. Believing in Jesus involves doing something. It doesn't involve sitting around, sinning all the time and say, okay, well, I just believe on, on the name of Jesus and I can just do whatever I want. No, that's, that's, not, that's not believing in Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, in John chapter 15, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So he kept the Father's commandments. And keep in mind that uh, he stated plainly that uh, the Father and himself, they are one. So they are in total agreement. So you, you can't, there's no, the commandments of Yeshua are not any different than the commandments of the Father. John 10, verse 30, I and my Father are one. And then if you look at John chapter 12, John chapter 12, verse 49, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. In verse 50, And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. So everything that came out of his mouth came from the Father, ladies and gentlemen. It came from the Father. Romans chapter uh, 13. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 10. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Here we go with loving your neighbor as yourself. That concept, colon, continue the thought. Therefore, love is the fulfilling, fulfilling, completion of the law. So that's what love is. Again. Okay, in first John chapter five, first John chapter five, starting in verse um one, whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and every one that loves him that beget love him also that is begotten of him. Verse two. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Again, we have to keep the commandments. In verse 3 of 1 John chapter 5, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. And despite what many ministers preach incorrectly, uh, the commandments of God, when you really understand how to keep them, are not grievous. And of course they preach that they are. Don't keep the Sabbath. Don't don't keep the holy days. Don't 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 keep uh, these other commandments because they're all nailed to the cross. Anyway, in Revelation chapter twenty two, verse fourteen, it says, "Blessed are they," and this is in the King James, "that do his commandments, 
that they may have right to the tree of life. That's the kind of right we need to be fighting for, not gay rights or any other right that has everything to do with not obeying God, but we should be fighting for the right to the tree of life, which is uh, symbolic of immortality, and that we may enter in through the gates into the city. And this is not just um, closed off for all the 12 tribes, it's also for all the nations as well. And Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, and the spirit and the bride, which I hope to explain today, the bride are the first fruits. Those who, will, uh, those who will be resurrected in the first resurrection as described in Revelation chapter 20. And the spirit and the bride say, come and let him that hears, and if you hear what I'm saying, this is a now prophecy, come and let him that is a thirst come. It's not talking about literally physically thirsty. It's talking about spiritually thirsty. <laughs> and whoever will, and, and this is whoever will, whoever's listening to me, no matter what uh, type of race you are, black, white, green, or yellow, let him take the water of life freely. I love this scripture, freely. And I'm offering this freely to you. you there's no charge. Of course, I accept your donations gracefully, uh, gracefully rather. Uh, accept your donations. Let me drink some water here. So, you know, I, I gratefully accept uh, your, your donations, but I don't charge for my teachings. You'll never see me um, write a book and then put a price tag on it or or sell my DVD teachings and so forth. I really believe that the scriptures indicate that that should not be something that we should do. So, um, and it says right here, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely, freely. Now, the world has a population right now of 7 billion people. The world has been and still is being deceived. So the majority of people in this world, ladies and gentlemen, whether you believe it or not, are deceived, don't know the truth. And the truth is the teachings and doctrines of God, the Word of God. That's what the truth is, ladies and gentlemen. And they don't understand that the truth also involves keeping all the commandments. And the reason why they don't know these things uh, is because the devil has deceived the whole world. In Revelation 12, verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, or Hasatan, which deceives or tricks the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So you have scriptural proof that tells you that there's a devil that tricks the whole world. And continues to do so. Revelation chapter 17 verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials. And this is Revelation 17 verse 1. And talk with me saying unto me. Come hither I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters. Verse 2. Which whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk. And it's talking about spiritually drunk. With the wine of her fornication. And so all the inhabitants of the earth have been drunk with the devil. And, of course, the the, um, the whore is one of the devil's servants. Uh, Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, 
having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, in verse 2, and he laid on, he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And verse 3 is a significant verse here. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive or trick the nations, that he should not, well, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. So the devil is the one that deceives all nations around the world, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if this truth has ever been taught to you, but I'm teaching it to you. Jeremiah chapter 16. And there's a prophecy from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 16, starting in verse 19. He states this. He says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come, or the nations, that's what Gentiles means, shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth, and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things where there is no profit. So you have a prophecy here that backs up that the devil has deceived the whole world, that unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, when we're born, and when we're taught by our parents and other people that we're not being taught entirely all the truth about life, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Bible here. So if you have a problem with this, you go argue with God about it. And I would be very careful about arguing with him because uh, you don't want to get him angry. But anyway, all I'm saying here, he's telling you through his prophet Jeremiah that we have all inherited lies from our past generations and from our fathers. So, this is a fact. What do we do about it? Well, we have to get the garbage that we have inherited out of our brains. In particular, false religion. That's one of the greatest things that have been inherited through our generations is false religion. And we've got to get that out of our minds. Uh, so, let me turn to... Another scripture here in Second Peter, chapter three, had two individuals call me last week, and I didn't really, I didn't get a chance to completely answer their questions. Uh, so that's that's the reason why I believe God has inspired me to do this program, not only for them but for other people, because if you've been, if you are inherited lies, it's going to take a lot of instruction to get those lies out of your mind. All right, and I can't do it in in, in uh, in one program, but what I can do is give you the foundation to do research on your own to prove these things for yourself. That's what I can do, and I didn't have enough time to do that with the two gentlemen, so that's the reason why I'm doing this, not only for them, but for anyone that are listening to me for the first time. Second uh, Peter, chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. An account that and account the suffering, the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Shaul or Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you, as also in all his epistles or letters, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable. Now see, this is the problem.
problem with most people, and including these ministers, and some of them do know better, but the, I, I would suspect a lot of them perhaps don't know any better. They just talk and they just go along with the crowd. Uh, it says, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their only unto their own destruction. So this proves that the apostolic scriptures, including Paul's writings, are scripture along with the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament. But what I want you to notice here, unlearned and unstable. Unlearned means ignorant, meaning that you don't know. Then unstable means um, unfixed. So what we have here is a prophecy uh, by the Apostle Peter stating the fact that Paul's epistles will be misunderstood by people who are unlearned and unstable. And I just read to you from the scriptures that all of us have been deceived and we have inherited lies from our fathers and that the devil's one of his occupations is deceiving the whole world. Uh, in Acts 17, verse 6, the truth of God will turn the world upside down <laughs> when it's preached around the world. Acts chapter 17, verse 6 is proof of this. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Now, why will the truth of God turn the world upside down? Because the truth of God versus the untruth of God that's being preached around the world is diametrically opposite to the false teaching. So that's the reason why it's going to turn the world upside down. <laughs> and true, and because of this, true believers are persecuted. John 7, verse 7, starting with the Messiah, he was persecuted on the earth and still is today. He's being persecuted. The true Messiah is not being preached by hardly anyone. John 7, verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but me it hates because I testify of it that the works there of our evil. And I experience this in my ministry when I try to correct somebody, they get all angry and upset. You know, uh, you're not perfect out there, you're trying to correct me, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, Moses wasn't perfect either, and and, uh, and many of, actually everyone, with the exception of Messiah, was not perfect, and yet God used imperfect men to correct. So you can't use that as an excuse. But anyway, in John 7, verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but me it hates, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. So he's telling you the works of the world, the majority of those works, are evil. And that's why the world hates him, the true Messiah. John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So he's saying the true believers of God are hated by many people in the world, ladies and gentlemen. This is what your Bible says in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. I have given them thy word. He's praying to his father before he, of course, gets crucified here. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them. And they continue to hate us today. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I pray not that you should take them out of the world, 
but that you shall keep them from the evil. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, verse 17. Sanctify means to set apart them through thy truth. What is truth? Thy word is the truth. The truth is the Torah. And we must live by every word of God. Matthew 4, verse 4. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. And this is a surprising statement for those who may have never heard this for the first time. Uh, may have, you, you probably, uh, well, I'll go ahead and quote it here. <laughs> Hopefully you have heard of this before. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast you, cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. So again, in this verse, Luke 6, verse 22, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. In verse 23, Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same, same way did their fathers unto the prophets. Okay, so I try to explain this to people, that, and people get impressed by other preachers that, that have great missionary works, and they're doing, they're, they're doing great signs and wonders, and they heal people and, and all that, and, and really, that's not a, a criteria to say, hey, that person is is great and that person is a righteous person that that when, when you truly understand the bible and what it's saying that's not the criteria that's going to say hey that person is righteous and, you, and i hope that you understand uh that fact as i continue to quote these scriptures now in revelation chapter 11 revelation chapter 11 starting in verse uh, 15 says, And the seven angels sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world, or the nations of this world, are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So uh, you may be asking, well, why is it saying that the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ? You may be thinking, well, aren't the kingdoms of this world already God's? Well, yes, God owns everything, but right now he is allowing the kingdoms of this world to be ruled by the devil. So that's the reason why this verse states, and the seven angels sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And then in verse 16, and the, and the 24 elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. In verse 18, and this is what I want you to notice, and the nations were angry, so you would think all the nations would be happy that he's coming back. No, they're not. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou should give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name small and great, and you should destroy them which destroy the earth. So he's going to literally destroy those who are trying to destroy the earth at this time. So you've you got to understand, there's something wrong with mankind 
for mankind to be angry at him when he returns. But that's what the Bible tells you in Revelation 11, verse 18. Zechariah, chapter 14. Verse 1, and this is, this is when he comes back here. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, and the spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Verse 2, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle those, those angry nations. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished or raped. And half the city, the city of Jerusalem, shall go into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Verse 3, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half it toward the south. So anyway, everyone's going to know when the Messiah comes, everyone's going to know, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Now, unfortunately, right now, the devil rules this world, Satan. For further proof of that, let's look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 5. It says, And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, this is when uh, the devil was uh, tempting the Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua. Luke 4, verse 4, uh, 5, rather, Luke 4, verse 5. And the devil, taking him into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And verse 6, And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. All right, so you have scriptural proof there that the devil rules all these kingdoms right now, ladies and gentlemen. His profession, his um, goal in life is to destroy. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be sober, be vigilant. First Peter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Devour means to just drink down, to gulp, to swallow. That's, that's basically what he likes to do. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So he goes up to heaven and he accuses me and other people that are trying to obey to the best of our ability. He false accuses us and he just accuses us day and night. And it's going to come a time when God's going to get sick of that and, and throw him down out of, out of uh, the, his throne room doing that. But anyway, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, Second Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, verse 4, and whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, that not the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So what he does also, he blinds people from understanding the message that I'm giving you right now. If you don't understand what I'm saying, you think I'm wicked or evil, then he's blinding your mind. He's blinding your mind, and you have to repent of that and, and ask 
Yah to desire for you to understand what I'm telling you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. But on the other hand, if you do understand, then, then obviously the Father is drawing you to understand what I'm saying here. He's calling you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air or the atmosphere, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So this is an interesting scripture because it indicates that the devil has power over the atmosphere to broadcast his wicked nature. It's like most human beings on the earth are on his wavelength similar to a radio frequency. This is the way Mr. Armstrong, Hubert W. Armstrong, taught this. And I think it's a really good way to understand the scripture. Uh, according to the prince of the power of the air, the atmosphere, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Now, let's understand something. Um, and I did explain this to you. Uh, Yeshua did not come to destroy or nail the law to the cross. And... He is the Word of God. In, in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then I'm going to jot down to verse 14 here. It says, And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I already went to went over what truth is. And since Psalm 119, verse 142, truth is the, the law of God, but it also involves keeping the commandments. And, and uh, Psalm, these, this is all basic uh, teaching here. Psalm 119, verse 151. says, Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. So the truth also involves keeping the commandments and involves the law of God, which is involves the commandments as well. And then what is righteousness? Psalm 119, verse 172. says, My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, very few people throughout the history of the world have really understood the true message of the Bible. And for proof of this, from the, the Messiah's own mouth, turn to Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in. So many go into the way and live the way of destruction. That's what your Messiah says in red letters in the King James. Verse 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads into life, and few, few there be that find it, little. So I try to explain this to people, but people are so impressed by volume, by uh, population uh, of ministries and so forth, and that is not a true indicator of whether or not someone is a true servant of God or not. Don't go by numbers. Go by quality. 
God can do a great work through one individual or a few other individuals. Very few people have tried to obey all the commandments of God. Yet the Bible states that this is the duty of mankind. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse 13. It says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, mankind. Let me repeat this. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Verse 14. For God shall bring, and why should you keep the commandments? This is why. Verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil. That's why I try to tell people, hey, you know, you can hide stuff from me, but you can't hide stuff from God. Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66. Starting in verse um, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. So he's talking about the new heavens or the renewed heavens and the renewed earth. That's talked about in Revelation chapter 21. Uh, Isaiah 66 verse 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Shabbat to another, one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh, all mankind... Come to worship before me, says the Lord. So your Bible says that uh, mankind will, all of mankind will be keeping the Sabbath. And Isaiah 66, verse 24, And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses or bodies of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm, not them, but the worm that's going to be consuming their bodies, their dead carcasses, shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. You don't want to you don't want to be <laughs> in that situation, ladies and gentlemen. Zechariah. Zechariah chapter fourteen. Starting in verse sixteen. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Yes, the Feast of Tabernacles, a Sukkot. Verse 14, And it shall come to pass, and it shall be that whosoever will not come up of all the families of the earth into Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. No rain. And verse 18, And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague, where if the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So that is a part of the holy days of God, and I get persecuted by some people saying, hey, you're wrong for keeping the holy days, and how am I wrong when all of mankind will be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles and keeping the Sabbath? 
And really, all the other holy days are a type of Sabbaths anyway. So they'll be keeping all the rest of the holy days and all the rest of the commandments of God. Because I showed you in the scriptures, that's the whole duty of man. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Starting in verse 10. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, and this is um, in the... In the um, Somnity of the year of release and the Feast of Tabernacles. When all Israel has come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. And it says, Gather the people together, men and women and children, and, and thy stranger that is within thy greats, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law. So every seven years, and this is another Bible study to understand every seven years, but every seven years during that seventh year, during that Feast of Tabernacles, uh, based on, on the instructions of God here, the entire uh, law of God will be read to the people. And that includes the people uh, in Zechariah chapter 14, all the nations that will go to the Feast of Tabernacles, every seventh year, they will be instructed on all the law of God. So he didn't. So if he did not intend for all the nations, or anyone for that matter, to not, if he didn't intend for them to obey the law, then why did he inspire Moses to add this to the Festival of Tabernacles, something that should be done every seventh year of the, um, the cycle, the seven-year cycle? So let's let's understand that. The true message of the Bible is available in these end times as prophesied. Let's turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 22. If I'm going too fast for you, you can always listen to this program in the archives. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. And let me quote something here before I forget from this excellent article by uh, Mr. Tim Hegg, TorahResource.com. This is My Big Fat Greek Mindset, Part 2. And he has on page 6 of Part 2, and you can get this document by going to his website. I suggest you read this article. It's a really good article to read um, in addition to listening to this program to get a good foundation. But anyway... Uh, I'm going to read on page 6 of my Big Fat Greek Mindset, uh, part 2. It says, the following table summarizes the differences between a Greek and Hebrew perspective as it pertains to the goal of salvation. The cathedral mentality states that the goal of salvation is to escape this world and go to God's dwelling place in heaven. The kingdom of heaven exists in heaven, not upon the earth. The Messiah is coming in order to take us away from this world message get your ticket now you might miss the train so that that's the cathedral or traditional christianity greek thought today now what's the hebraic perspective which i teach each and every week on this program which is called the tabernacle and temple mentality the goal of salvation is to prepare a place fit for god's dwelling here among his people in revelation chapter 21 that's what it states that he's going to come to this earth the father is going to come he wants to dwell with his creation And because of sin, he does not want to do that right now. But one day, sin, which causes destruction, 
will be eliminated, and he's going to come to this earth and dwell with his creation. So the goal of salvation is to prepare a place fit for God's dwelling here among his people. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is God's reign among people here upon the earth. The Messiah is coming in order to reign over us in this world. That's why I say, repent. Repent. Change. The kingdom of God is coming in the 21st century. How many ministers that you are taught by preach and tell you to repent? For the kingdom of God is coming. They, they, they instead preach, oh, you're going to go to heaven. Message, the kingdom of heaven is coming. Get ready to receive and serve the king. Repent, repent. The kingdom of God is coming in the 21st century. And I will preach that message because we all need to repent because his kingdom is coming soon. I can't tell you and predict when, but we are certainly living in the end times, ladies and gentlemen. So anyway, let me go back to Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. In verse 23, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. And what a prophecy, ladies and gentlemen. The true God that I represent is unknown to most people around the world whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Yes, you ignorantly worship. You don't know him because you don't keep his commandments. The only way you can know God is to keep his commandments, ladies and gentlemen. That's revealed in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. Let me go to that, that, that verse again so you'll understand that. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Verse John 2, verse 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And verse 4, he, he that says, I know him and keep not his commandments is a liar. And the truth of the Torah, the teachings of God, the law of God is not in him. Let's go back to Acts chapter 17. And he was speaking to the Greeks here. So this is prophetic in a way of Greek thought, which many Americans think like Greeks. We just want wisdom. And, of course, the Jews seek a sign. Anyway, whom in Acts 17, verse 23, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And that's what I'm doing. I'm declaring the true God, the unknown God, to you through Blog Talk Radio, through the miracle of Blog Talk Radio. Verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, Dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he gives giveth to all life, he gives life to everyone in breath and all things. Verse 26, and as made of one blood, understand this, ladies and gentlemen, he has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed, and to the bounds of their habitation. Verse 27 of Acts chapter 17. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him. Remember, Yeshua stated, seek and you shall find. If you don't seek the Lord, you're not going to find him, ladies and gentlemen. You have to have a desire to seek him. Though he be not far from every one of us, God is not far from every one of us, according to the great uh, rabbi, Shaul, or Paul, verse 28. For in him we live 
and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So we are potentially all of his children, ladies and gentlemen. He wants us all to be his children. That's his desire. Verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring or children of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. Verse 30. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. So he winked at all this ignorance. Oh, he overlooked this. He overlooked this. But, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, repent, to shuva in Hebrew, change. We have to change our way of thinking. We have to change and get rid of all the lies that our fathers uh, all the lies that we have inherited from our past generations, from our fathers. We have to 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 uh, clean this out through listening to me and, and other Torah teachers that know what they're talking about. Verse 31 of Acts chapter 17. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. What is righteousness? Psalm 119, 172. By the commandments. That's what the world's going to be judged by. By that man whom he has ordained, wherein he has given assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead. Okay, so starting in the first century with, with the uh, the preaching of the Messiah and the death of the Messiah, then he's no longer winking at the ignorance of not knowing him. Because the gospel is being preached, it was preached in the world, around the world, back in the first century. The population at that time was just 200 million. And the gospel is being preached, or the, the beginning stages of it being preached around the world has already started. Uh, and I'm going to um, quote a few scriptures here to help you understand that uh, everyone that is alive will have had the gospel preached to them. So it won't be any excuse for people that are alive during the tribulation not to have heard the truth of God. And I'm going to prove that to you. Um, in a minute here. In Daniel chapter 12, how much time do I have left here? 45 minutes, okay. Uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. Daniel was one of the most intelligent human beings to ever live. But Daniel did not understand the prophecies he wrote down. Because it wasn't meant for him to understand. Daniel 12, verse 4, but, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end, which is the 21st century. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. And so today we have the Internet. We have other ways where we can learn things that we never could learn before in the history of mankind, including religious truth. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy, as revealed in Revelation chapter 19. And of all things that he saw, in verse 3 of Revelation chapter 1, Blessed is he that reads, 
and they that hear or understand the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. In the 21st century, the time certainly is at hand, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 10, it states this. And he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the, of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So the, the, the book of Revelation is linked with the book of Daniel. And in Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 1, And there was given to me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. So this is a prophecy that there will be a re rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Verse 2, But the court which is without the temple leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles or unto the nations. And the holy city, Jerusalem, shall they thread underfoot forty-two months, or three and a half years. And in verse 3 of Revelation chapter 11, this has not happened yet. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy 1,203 score days, or 60 days, 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. And they're going to preach the gospel around the world. And let me... Uh, Go down to Revelation 11, verse 7, and when they have finished their testimony, uh, when that 42 months is up, or three and a half years, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And verse 8, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And verse 9, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, not three and a half years, three days and a half, three days and a half, and shall not allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves. And verse 10 is a significant verse. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't feel that the truth was pleasant. They thought it was torment. Which proves that they, and it says that all, it says that all that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice. So obviously, all of them heard the message. So they're going to be preaching the gospel around the world, and to unfortunately, most of the people of the world at this time, uh, when this happens, think it's torment. Obviously, and that, and that tells you the perverted and sick minds of people uh, in the in this century at this point. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. It says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, in the midst of the sky, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So if you're still alive and going through the tribulation at this time, then you will hear the truth of God, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's being started right now, but... It, but the gospel will be preached to 7 billion people or around this time is going to be much less than that. It's still going to be probably maybe 3 or 4 billion people perhaps around this time uh, that this is this verse is occurring here about the angel preaching the gospel around the world. And people that are alive at that time, it's not going to be an excuse for them. They will hear the truth of God. They will hear the truth of God. Now, it is also prophesied that many people would be tricked and deceived in these end times, though. And in uh, Matthew chapter 24, 
Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 4, states the following. And Jesus said and answered them and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you or trick you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. And if we drop down to verse 23, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. Believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So it's going to be one of the signs of this end times is great deception, ladies and gentlemen. And the devil has his servants, and many people don't understand this. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. And they, and they appear as an angel of light. They appear harmless. They appear to be great people. But underneath, they have dead men's bones. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful, tricky workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan, or Hasatan himself, is transformed into an angel of light. So to trick you, you have to appear that you're right, right? That's what he does. Verse 15, Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers or his servants also be transformed as the servants or ministers of righteousness, of commandment keeping, and they're, and they're not, whose end shall be according to their works. So the devil has to see the world through his human servants. In 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now the Spirit speaks expressively that in the latter times, these times of the 21st century, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, teachings of devils. Okay, so we've got to be careful. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience or mind seared with a hot iron. So picture when you iron something, how you steam Put the steam in, in, the, in the clothes that you're ironing so they can straighten out. Well, he's comparing that to how all these lies that we have inherited from our past generations is seared, our conscience, our minds are seared with that mess. And the only way to get that mess out is through a miracle of God. God calls you, and you're taught of him, and you're drawn to one of his servants, to one of his ministers, so they can teach you the truth. That's the only way you can get that stuff out. And so I like to call this, basically, the Scripture is telling you that, in verse 2, that you you can be branded, or many people have been branded, all of us have been branded with false teachings. And to get those false teachings out, it takes a miracle of God, the Holy Spirit, to get all that out. In John chapter 6, starting at verse 44, I mean, the, the, the teachings are so ingrained with, within people that they just don't want to listen, and, and they just think they're right. When they're wrong. John chapter 6 verse 44. says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. So the Father has to draw you. How does he draw you? Well, through listening to me and through listening to other people. The few in the world that are preaching the truth. Because there's very few people that are preaching the truth. I just read that to you in Matthew chapter 7 verse 14. Very few people find the way, the true way of life. So that means... His ministers that preach that way of life are few on the earth, and I'm one of them. 
And he, and he says right here in verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 45 of John chapter 6, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that have heard and have learned of the Father comes unto me. Verse 46, Not that any man has seen the Father, says he which is of God, he has seen the Father. That's another Bible study. But anyway, now, I've heard many people say, well, I don't need anybody to teach me. Only God teaches me. Well, God is not going to come down and say, okay, let me teach you. He does it in most cases. There's a few isolated cases. But in most cases, he teaches you through men, okay, and, and in some cases, women. Uh, Acts 8, verse 26. Acts 8, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south into the, the way that go down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I'm sure many of you know Gaza, and they've been in the news and so forth. Well, was, Gaza existed back in the first century, too, which is the desert. In verse 27, he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. In verse 29, Then the Spirit says unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. In verse 30, And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And then here, there's the key verse I want you to, to pay attention to here. Acts 8, verse 31. And he said, How can I? except some man should guide me. <laughs> and he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now, you know, uh, uh, to get to where I'm at right now, I had to be taught of men. And I continue to to uh, be taught of men. I, I read commentaries. I, I, I read uh, information from other Torah teachers. Uh, that's how you are taught of God. Uh, don't deceive yourself into saying, well, only God's going to teach me. Well, yes, he's gonna, only he's going to teach you. But he leads you into all truth through the Holy Spirit by guiding you to people who are qualified to teach you the truth. That's how he does it. In Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. I'm a teacher and you know, if you think I'm something else, well, that's entirely up to you, but I know that I'm a teacher. Verse 12, uh, a teacher of the Bible. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, being unlearned, Okay, just like uh, I quoted that scripture about many people twisting the, the scriptures of, of Paul to say that the law is done away with when it isn't. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth, what's truth again? All the words of God, the law of God, and the commandments all the commandments of God, in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. So, yes, God uses imperfect men like myself to teach you. That's what he does. And 
many of you don't know who I am, and I'll just briefly tell you how I um, came to this point. Because I tell you, I, I my wife can tell you that um, I never envisioned doing what I'm doing now. You know, I'm, I'm a businessman. Uh, I'm a marketer. I'm a marketing consultant, and and uh, to do what I'm doing right now is a total miracle. But it all began really when I was age uh, 16 to 17 years old, and as I was trying to explain to the two individuals, they didn't let me get through with my story, so uh, I don't have that problem now, though. And I uh, was wondering about the world. That's what I remember, and I, and I just didn't understand people celebrating Christmas. And later on, I found out that that God condemns the Christmas tree in Jeremiah chapter 10. That's a pretty interesting scripture, a chapter to read, by the way, in Jeremiah chapter 10. But uh, I didn't understand why people were going around giving gifts to each other. And when, when there were people suffering around the world and so forth, and I said, what does this have to do with the celebration of the birthday of Christ, giving gifts to each other? And... Also, I wondered, well, people say that the world is at peace, and yet you have people starving, and really I understood that peace really meant your needs are taken care of, that you don't have any worries or concerns. And I said, there's no peace on the earth. Why are people saying that there's no peace? Why, why are people saying that there's peace when there's no peace? And so I didn't understand. So I was, I was confused because I was experiencing the and realizing uh, that I, I've inherited lies from, unfortunately, my family. They didn't know any better because they inherited lies from their family and so forth. So, so I was like, what, what, "What's going on?" And so I was so depressed, and I, I just asked God to kill me if You don't reveal Your truth to me. I was age uh, 16 to 17 at the time, and so I was going to sleep, and I, I left the radio on. And the next thing that I heard. When I woke up, I heard this man called Mr. Hubert W. Armstrong, and he was preaching about the United States and Britain in prophecy. And he answered my prayer almost immediately. <laughs> and God used this man to uh, get me familiar with the Bible, to help me understand that the Bible interprets itself, uh, to do proper exegesis, uh, to... Um, compare scriptures with scriptures and let the scriptures interpret itself. That's what I learned from him. I took a correspondence course. I uh, had to make tremendous sacrifices that the Bible tells you to um, follow the the path that leads to life, the narrow path. And at the time, yes, it was, I would say that the organization I was a part of was a part of the Assembly of God at the time. And uh, we weren't. Um, we were doing uh, observing the Jewish holy days. Well, they're not Jewish holy days; they're God's holy days. By using the, the calendar, uh, at that time we, we did not have the capability of doing it uh, by observation, and we and we were doing the best that we could as far as keeping the commandments. I was keeping the Sabbath and keeping the holy days to the best of my ability. Well, later on, Mr. Armstrong died, and. What died with him, of course, was his two teachings about the Sabbath and, and keeping the holy days and so forth. And I was baptized or immersed uh, back in 1986. And again, that immersion was the best that I could do based on what I knew at the time. I was uh, immersed in a uh, in a bucket, a large bucket 
or I don't, I don't know what you call it, but it was a large uh, gray um, bucket. It was a real, real large uh, bucket of water, and I was uh, dipped in that. Um, and uh, I remember when Mr. Lachlan, Ronald Lachlan, that was the minister in the Worldwide Church of God back in uh, Hammond, Indiana, he had asked me what my name was, and I told him, Kennard Levi Brown. And that's my middle name, Levi. And when I said that, he paused, uh, I think for about a minute or something, I don't know, about 30 seconds, maybe 20 seconds. And he said, are you a Jew? And I said, as far as I know, I, I don't think so. <laughs> and, he, and he just kept on, I think it almost took him about a minute before he uh, laid his hands on it, asked, asked for uh, uh, God's Holy Spirit to be put in me. And and uh, that was interesting because I really believe that's symbolic of God letting me know that he wanted me to do what I was doing today. Um, because that's unusual for him to pause like that. And, of course, my middle name is Levi or Levi, which the Levites, one of their responsibilities is to teach Torah. And this reminds me, too, <laughs> that I was born in a Jewish hospital called Mount Sinai in Chicago, Illinois. I was born in the same month as Moses. And you know that Moses also was a Levite. So these are significant things about me. Uh, my name means uh, Royal Guard, Kennard. And then my middle name is Levi or Levi. And then I found later on that my great-great-great-grandmother's name is Sarah Cohen, and that's a popular Jewish name for a woman. So those those were signs that, uh, and I didn't know, I didn't find out about my great 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 grandmother till later on, later on in the the 21st century. And so I was baptized into this church. I had to give up my girlfriend back then. Uh, that was a great thing for me to do, but I was sinning, and I had to give that up, and I had to give up some other things, and. I was in the church uh, in 1986 in Chicago, and I was in the church for, for several years. Uh, and I was taught through uh, their correspondence course on how to understand the Bible. I had a blue Bible, and I marked it up with all kind of markings. I had every page. I had notes and everything. I was just totally studying the Bible. And unfortunately, of course, uh, when you live this way of life, you're going to be persecuted, as I just mentioned. And I was persecuted uh by people you wouldn't think would persecute me, but it was prophesied that this would occur. And and uh, I I had to leave my house that I lived in for 20 years. And um, I lived in, in different uh, homes. And I learned how to be a man and learned how to deal with adversity through, these, through, through those times. And eventually, um, I met my wife at a church function in Atlanta, um, and I had decided to move. I didn't know at the time that uh, the woman should move to where the man is at. I had no clue about that, but I did the best we could. I think it was God's will anyway. Uh, and when, when he doesn't want to reveal something to you, then obviously in that situation uh, it was his will for me to move out of Chicago. And, and I really believe it was best for me to move out of Chicago because I had so many so many uh, things that happened to me in a terrible way that I needed to forget. 
and moving to um, in Ohio, moving to Ohio helped me to repent and, and to change and become a better person. And so I left the Worldwide Church of God back in 1994, 95, I think it was in 94, 95, because the leader, Mr. Armstrong died in 1986, and the, the church was, uh, the Worldwide Church of God was slowly, slowly becoming more like a Protestant church, meaning that they uh, stopped keeping the Sabbath, stopped keeping the Holy Day, stopped believing that all the commandments uh, should be kept to the best of your ability, particularly the Ten Commandments. And and uh, we decided to leave, and then we joined this other church called the Philadelphia Church of God, and it was a, really a, a bad decision because we thought because he claimed that he believed in the teachings of Mr. Armstrong that it was the right assembly to go to, and it really wasn't. And it led to us getting kicked out of that church uh, in 2004, and uh, we got kicked out because we uh, were teaching people and telling people that uh, the widows should be kept of in the church and and uh, they should be taken care of in the church, and that we were preaching that uh, pure religion is the following in, in James chapter uh, 1, verse 27. Uh, but pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. They understood to keep yourself unspotted from the world, but they really didn't understand to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And, so, and then also we, we gave this organization a whole lot of money. And it devastated us financially. And we're just recovering from that now. <laughs> but it, it was just something. And, and God had us both go through that to to prepare us for what we're doing now. And and uh, and I knew after that that, that God, or God wanted me to be a minister back in 2004. That's when I started ministry. So I've been doing it now for like nine years. But as far as keeping the Sabbath and holy days, I've been doing that for 27 years now. And I've been studying the Bible for 27 years. So so that gives you a short synopsis of me as far as uh, my qualifications to do what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm going to say the same thing that, that Yeshua states here in John chapter 7. For those who think I don't know what I'm talking about. John 7 verse uh, 16 here. And Jesus answered them, okay, in verse 15, John 7, verse 15. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? In verse 16, so people challenged me and said, Well, you didn't go to school. You didn't go to ministry school. You didn't go to uh, these uh, uh, theology uh, schools, or you didn't, you didn't learn from a seminary, and so forth. And so what I say is this. John 7, verse 15, and the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man's letters, having never learned? And then John 7, verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. And I can say, The doctrine that I'm telling you is certainly not mine, but is is the Messiah's, and, and it's the Father's. Because all I'm doing is reading the scriptures out of the Bible. And John 7, verse 17, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. And then verse 18, he that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeks his glory that sent him, the same is true, 
and no unrighteousness is in him. And, you know, I, I spoke of myself briefly to give you a little background of uh, why I'm doing what I'm doing today. And I just totally summarized the, the religious part of my life. Now, what are the doctrines of the Messiah, though? In Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. So the first doctrine of Christ is repentance from dead works. The second doctrine of Christ is trust or faith toward God. The third doctrine of Christ is the doctrine of washings, and it's translated baptisms. The fourth doctrine of Christ is the laying on the hands. The fifth doctrine of Christ is the resurrection of the dead. And the last basic doctrine of Christ is eternal judgment. So, again, the basic doctrine of Christ. If you don't understand these doctrines, you're going to have a very difficult time understanding the entire Bible. And I think what I'm going to do in the future is give a program on each of these major doctrines. And what I'm going to eventually do, God willing, is to write a book about these major doctrines. Because if you don't understand these major doctrines, you're going to have a difficult time understanding the Bible. Again, the first major doctrine of Christ is repentance from dead works. The second one is trust toward God. The third one is the doctrine of washings. The fourth one is the laying on of hands. The fifth one is the resurrection of the dead. And the sixth one is eternal judgment. So that is all the doctrines of God. And then right here, the uh, basic doctrines of God or the Messiah. And it states right here, in Hebrews 5, verse 11, of whom you have many things to say, or we have many things to say, and hard to be others, seeing you are dull of hearing or understanding. Verse 12, for when you, so when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and, and are become such as have, one that needs milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are full of age, even those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And what I'm preaching to you right now, at least I hope it is, is milk, because you're not ready for the meat yet. But I'm giving you the milk to the best of my ability so that you can understand the Bible. And then Second John, Second John, chapter one, verse nine. Whosoever transgresseth and abides not in the doctrine of Christ, I just told you what the doctrine of Christ is. Have not God. So you don't have God if you don't understand repentance from dead works. If you don't understand trusting in God, if you don't understand the doctrine of washings, if you don't understand the laying on of hands, if you don't understand the resurrection of the dead, if you don't understand eternal judgment, then the Bible tells you that you don't have God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. So if I were you, I would start learning those major doctrines. And I do have, I think I did a Bible study on all those doctrines in the archive, but as God tends to do, he's given me more revelation about those doctrines, so I'm going to be updating those um, teachings. But you could uh, look in the archives and, and start listening to those uh, major doctrines that I uh, have taught.
that I just mentioned to you, the doctrines of Christ. Second John 1, verse 10, If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, those, those six basic foundational doctrines, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. That's what your Bible says. For he that bids him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So it is very important to understand those major doctrines, ladies and gentlemen. All right, um, I have 15 minutes left, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to go over all this. I wanted to, to go over um, what sin is, and what I'm going to do is instead go over Romans chapter 6, and hopefully 7, and then I'm going to go into detail about what sin is next week, the definition of sin, okay, because I'm running out of time here. It's two hours, and I wanted to talk about other things like who was Israel and the Jews' religion. I wanted to talk about all that, but I'm going to have to talk about that next week because I'm running out of time. All right, so, but this program will serve its purpose in regards to giving you a little foundation, although I wanted to get into the definition of sin, but I will get into that next week. Well, 1 John 3, verse 4 tells you what sin is. Sin is just a transgression of Torah. All right? So that's what sin is. And I have other scriptures that I wanted to quote, but I need to go into further detail about what sin is, and I'm going to do that next week. So let's go to and what is caused and what is the solution, according to the Bible. All right, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to read this entire chapter, and I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version. Romans 6, verse 1. So then, are we to say, let's keep on sinning so that there can be more grace? Of course not. But that's what's being taught in traditional Christianity today. They teach that we should keep on sinning so that there will be more grace. There can, there can be more grace. And then verse 2, Paul tells us, Heaven forbid, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? And then Romans 6, verse 3, Don't you know that those of us who have been immersed into the Messiah, Yeshua, have been immersed into death, into his death? And verse 4, Through immersion, which means baptism, into his death, we were buried with him, so that just as through the glory of the Father the Messiah was raised from the dead, likewise we too might live a new life. In verse 5, for if we have been united with him in death like his, we will also be united with him in a resurrection like his. In verse 6, we know that our old self was put to death on the execution stake with him so that the entire body of our sinful propensities might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. That's what sin does to you. It enslaves you. Verse 7, for someone who has died has been cleared from sin. Now, since we died with the Messiah, we trust that we also Live with him. Verse 9. We know that the Messiah has been raised from the dead, never to die again. Death has no authority over him. Verse 10. For his death was a unique event that need not be repeated. But his life, he keeps on living for God. Verse 11. In the same way, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. In the same way, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive for God by your union with the Messiah Yeshua. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin rule in your mortal bodies. Again, we have mortal bodies right now. We do not have immortal bodies. 
I know that has been incorrectly taught in the Catholic Church and, and perhaps some other churches that we have an immortal soul. We do not have immortal lives, ladies and gentlemen. That was closed off, and I'm going to explain that next week uh, in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, because of sin. Anyway, Romans 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin rule in your mortal bodies so that it makes you obey its desires. Verse 13, and do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument for wickedness. What is sin? 1 John 3, verse 4, sin is the transgression of Torah or the commandments of God, or the law of God. On the contrary, offer yourselves to God as people alive from the dead, and your various parts to God as instruments for righteousness. What is righteousness? It has something to do with keeping the commandments in Psalm 119, verse 172. Romans 6, verse 14. For sin will not have authority over you, because you are not under uh, legalism, but under grace. And I don't like that translation from... Um, let me read it uh, in, in the Scriptures version. For sin shall not rule over you, for you are not under the law, but under favor. And under the law means that you're not going to be cursed for not disobeying the law because you're going to be obeying the law. Under the law means you're under the curse of the law. But if you obey the law, you're not under the curse anymore. Verse 15. I'm going to read this in the Scriptures version uh, in this entirety here. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under Torah but under favor or grace? Let it not be. Uh, verse 16. Do you not know do you not know that to whom you present yourself servants for obedience you are servants of the one whom you obey, whether of sin to death or obedience to righteousness. Okay, so let's understand the dichotomy here. He's saying that, hey, whoever you obey, that's your boss. That's that. That's who you uh, are, have allegiance to. So the dichotomy is this. Either you obey the devil or you obey God. <laughs> Plain and simple as that. If you disobey God, you you diso uh, if you disobey God, if you disobey God, you're obeying the devil. All right? Plain and simple as that. If you disobey the devil, you're diso uh, you're obeying God. So let, let me go over this again. If you disobey God, you are obeying the devil. If you disobey the devil, you are obeying God. All right? And so again, in Romans 6 verse 16, do you not Know that to whom you present yourself servants for obedience, you are servants of the one whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. And that's what sin causes, death. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 6. But thanks to Elohim, or God, that you are servants of sin, yet you obey from the heart that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And verse 18. And having been set free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. And that's what... The law of liberty does. It frees you from sinning so you don't get cursed. That's what it does. And having been set free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. That's what we should be, servants of commandment keeping or righteousness. Verse 19, I speak as a man because of the weakness of your flesh. For even as you did present your members as servants of uncleanness and of lawlessness, resulting in lawlessness, so now present your members as servants of righteousness, resulting in set-apartness. And so that's, he's using a dichotomy again. Uh, dichotomy is two different things, and it's totally the opposite of each other. Uh, we were servants of uncleanness at one time. 
and of lawlessness, resulting in lawlessness. So now present your members, the dichotomy, as servants of righteousness, resulting in set-apartness or holiness. Verse 20, for when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Okay? So when you are a servant of sin, you are free from righteousness, free from commandment keeping. And that's what they teach today, unfortunately, that you're free from keeping the commandments. You only have to keep a certain few, and you don't have to keep all the rest. And that's not true. That's not true. Again, in verse 20, for when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. In verse 21, what fruit, therefore, were, were you having then over which you are now ashamed? For the end thereof is death. That kind of fruit, the fruit of unrighteousness, is death. Verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin, and having become servants of Elohim, or God, you have your fruit resulting in set of partners, and the end, that's what it will result in, keeping the commandments, everlasting life. Verse 23 of Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death. But the favorable gift of Elohim is everlasting life and Messiah, our Master. And so, let's go to Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I speak to those knowing the Torah, that the Torah rules over a man as long as he lives? For the married woman has been bound by Torah to the living husband, but if the husband dies, she is released from the Torah concerning her husband. Verse 3, so then while her husband lives, she shall be called an adulteress if she becomes another man's. But if her husband dies, she is free from that part of the Torah, so that she is not an adulteress, having become another man. So my brothers, you also were put to death to the Torah through the body of Messiah, for you to become another's, the one who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to Elohim. So bearing fruit Hebraically means we should do something. We have to do deeds. Faith must have works. That is defined in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Romans 7, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the passions of sin through the Torah were working in our members to bear fruit to death. You don't want to bear fruit to death. Your deeds should not equate to death. That's not the goal. Romans 7, verse 6. But now we have been released from the Torah, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of letter, meaning released from the curse of not keeping the Torah. That's what it's talking about. Verse 7. What then shall we say? Is the Torah sin? And that's what many people say. Keeping the commandments. Act like keeping the commandments is sin. And it's not. Is the, is the Torah sin? Let it not be. However, I did not know sin. What is sin? Sin is the transgression of Torah, except through the Torah. For also the covetousness or the lust, I knew not if the Torah had not said, you shall not covet. Verse 8, but sin, having taken the occasion through the command, did work in me all sorts of covetousness. For apart from the Torah, sin is dead. So if we don't have anything to show us what sin is, sin is dead. That's what he's telling us. And so we have to know what sin is to avoid it. Verse 9, and I was alive apart from the Torah once, but when the command came, the sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to result in life, this I found to result in death. For sin, having taken the occasion through the command, deceived me, and through it killed me. So that the Torah truly is set apart, and the command set apart, and righteous and good. So he's saying the Torah, the law of God, is, and the command set apart, and righteous, and, and is good. Verse 13, Therefore, has that which is good become dead to me? Let it not be. But the sin, the sin might be manifest, was working death in me through what is good, so that sin through the command might become an exceedingly great sinner. Verse 14, for we know that the Torah is spiritual, 
but I am fleshy sold under sin. For what I work, I know not. For what I wish, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. And I'm sure many of us are familiar with this struggle. But if I do what I do not wish, I, I agree with the Torah that it is good. And now it is no longer I that work it, but the sin dwelling in me. For I know that in me, that in, in my flesh dwells no good. For the wish is present with me, but to work the good I do not find. For the good that I wish to do, I do not do, but the evil I do not wish to do, this I practice. And if I do that which I do not wish, it is no longer I who work it, but the sin dwells in me. And I find therefore this law that when I wish to do good, that the evil is present within me. For I delight in the Torah of Elohim, according to the inward man. In verse 23, and this is a very important scripture here. Romans 7, verse 23, But I see another law in my members, battling against the Torah of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law or Torah of sin, which is in my members. You want to avoid the doctrine of sin. The doctrine of sin is the devil's doctrine. You want to avoid that. In verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, Thanks to Elohim, through the Messiah, our Master, so then, with the mind, I myself truly serve the Torah of Elohim, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So that's the struggle of the two Torahs, the Torah of damnation or sin, which is the devil's doctrines, and you have the Torah of God. And, of course, we must obey the Torah of God. Romans 6 and 7, if you read and study that, explains that to you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so I hope that this program will at least help you to understand that you need to start getting the the lies that you have inherited from your fathers out of your mind. And for those who have listened to me up to this point, then you are certainly being called of the Father to become uh, his bride, the first fruits, as the Bible explains, and I will get into that hopefully next week. So next week I'm going to talk about the definition of sin more in detail. Um, I'm hoping to talk about also who was Israel, briefly who was Israel. You can find us out, though, by going to www.britam.org, www.britam.org. And God willing, I'll be available to you next week. May the great Elohim bless and keep you. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.